eyes of your goodness. You alone are God, Father. And we celebrate you from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. You're good all of the time. You're faithful in every situation. Your judgments are sure and pure. Now, Father, right now, we invite you in the midst of us to do what you do, lead and guide in the ways that you would move up and down every aisle, in and out, every row. Holy Spirit, have your way. Use me that of a pen of a tongue. Of, use my pen, my tongue as a pen of a ready writer, writing on the tablets of the hearts of your people, whereby their spiritual eyes and their understanding is enlightened so that they may know your goodness, your grace, your mercy, and your love towards them. I yield myself to you right now. I decrease as you increase to give impartation, deliverance of your word, that burden-destroying, burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of your word, Father. That it will be go, go forth in excellency, accuracy, Father, and boldness so that all will see that you are great and you confirm your word with signs and wonders following. When it's all said and done, Daddy, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise for that which you will accomplish not only in this service today, but even beyond these doors in Jesus' name. And all those that are in agreement said? Amen. Amen. Good morning, family. It's good to see y'all. I miss y'all. Give yourself a hug on my behalf. Ooh, ooh, do do it. Uh, Tight, tighter, tighter, tighter. Okay. Before you take your seat, please greet three people and say it's good to see your face this morning. Praise God. As you are doing that, um, get your pens and your papers out. Get your tapping finger out and ready to go. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 as I begin. Now, last week we had Reverend Jim Hockaday and Reverend Jesse Duplantis. How many of you were able to attend any of those services? You were blessed. Amen. Um, They both were talking, I mean, really good services. But Jim Hockaday, he provoked me in a deep way because it was something that I've already been studying. It was something that I've already been meditating on. And it's something that I am just inclined and interested in knowing more about. And he was talking about perception and our realities. And when he was talking about that, he also made mention of all of the distractions that are in the earth today. Now, let's think about it. There is social media. I mean, there are so many social media sites, I can't keep up with them. There is TV, and TV is evolving and evolving. There's the, the uh, I mean, everywhere you go, there's a screen. In fact, uh, they're saying right now that it's hard to keep a millennial's attention without having at least three minutes of video, visual effects in tow. When I went out to lunch and sat at a restaurant, just looking around the restaurant, it's lunchtime, so you got a few millennials and, you know, young professionals in the, in the restaurant, and I'm noticing they're, they're supposed to be meeting and talking, but everyone was attached. I mean, when, when young people come to our houses, the first thing they want to know is what's the... Wi-Fi code. <laughs> oh, y'all already know, don't you? So the enemy has built up this here mirage of a reality that's not really a reality. When you got people with millions of followers based off of just a perception, come on now. And people are following this person, not because they're talented, these people, not because they're talented or they offer any great thing to society, but because of a perception? Really? For real? 
we have been hoodwinked and bamboozled into a false kind of reality. There's a commercial, it's a PSI commercial, a PSA commercial, and at the end of the commercial on the radio, she says, what's your reality? In other words, we have managed to define so many different realities that we've lost touch with the reality. People are out there now defining their truths and losing touch day by day of the truth. And so I ministered something along these lines in the first service, but the Holy Spirit directed me in a different direction for this service, and I'm, I'm believing it because we need some understanding. You know, English major from the University of Michigan, go blue, woo-hoo. Understand, wherever there is, wherever there is a story, there have to be an antagonist and a protagonist for it to be interesting. But do you know that if you, of any literary work, if you remove the first two chapters of a book and the last two chapters of a book, the reader is left up to his own demise to figure out how the thing started and how the thing ended. And listen, if you remove the first two chapters of Genesis and the last two chapters of Revelations, and you don't know how this thing started, and you don't know how it ends, you are subject to failure with everything in the middle. Because you are subject to question and be confused about everything that's in the middle because you're left to your own demise to figure out how it started and how it's going to end. And the enemy has done just that. He's crept into the minds in our efforts to be politically correct, to be socially accepting, whereby it's okay for me to believe and proclaim that I was born this way. Not realizing that I was made in the very image of God. This body will lay to rest and it's going to be gone. And because we've gotten so conditioned to life in a rut, every day the sun's going to shine. Every day it might rain. Every day the seasons are going to come. We lose touch that in the end there is going to be an end of this world as we know it. And in the end we win, y'all. But if you don't realize and have a reality that at the end of this road, there's a victory to be had, there's a heaven to be gained, and there's an eternity to be lived, you just live life going through the motions. I just dated myself. So understand that it behooves us, it should incline us to know a beginning and an end. You all know, if you're a believer, how many people proclaim themselves to be Christians? Christians, in fact, Christ-like. I endeavor every day to be Christ-like. I want to walk in his promises and in his virtues. I want to please God in every word and in every deed. How many of you believe that's you? Okay. So you know in the end we win, right? You know in the end there's a new heaven and a new earth, right? And you know that there's an eternity to be had. You know that there's a judgment day, right? I won't spend a whole lot of day there, time there. But I want to get you up on some things. With distractions and everything else that's bombarding our eye gate and our ear gate, it's very important that we fill ourselves with a certain knowledge. And when we fill ourselves up with knowledge, whatever that knowledge may be, we have to understand that there is an anchor that's going to keep us, and then there is an ambition or a goal that's going to move us, okay? I want you to write this statement down. Our conditions 
are not controlled by our outward actions, but our conditions are controlled by our inward thoughts. Our conditions are not controlled by our outward actions, but our conditions are controlled by our inward acts. Thoughts. I'm sorry, inward thoughts. Thank you, honey. I feel more inerting already this service. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. But how many of you, let's take a census. How many of you have set a goal out? You fasted. You prayed. You purged. You confessed. You spit. You sweated. You cried. You sacrificed. You got up early. You stayed up late. You didn't eat certain foods. You did eat certain foods. You became nice when you didn't want to be nice. You held your tongue when you didn't want to hold your tongue. All to achieve a goal. And you achieved the goal. How many of you done that? In your minds, you made sacrifices to achieve a goal. Come on now. Let me see. I know I got more successful and goal-achieving people in this place than, than, okay. Only to find out later on. Some time goes by, and you're having to reachieve that same goal later on. How many of you have been there? Can I bring it home? Single folks. And even that, some single folks. How many of you, men and women alike, you've been hurt? You've been abused? You've been abandoned? You've been talked to wrong? You've been violated? And you know the kind of man you don't want to be with. You know the kind of woman you don't want to be with. But you go back out again, and doggone it, after a couple of days, you found out you were the same old joker that you, was, that you don't want to be with. How many of you have been that way? <laughs> Amen. Again. Our outward condition is not controlled by our outward behavior, but our inward thoughts. We attract what we are. We attract what we are. We do create our reality. And if we're not careful, and if our reality is not in sync with God's reality, we'll find ourselves with our own results and not satisfied. I'm going to start from the beginning very quickly. I want you to write this stuff down. Write, write this down and record this as quickly as you can because I'm just going to keep on moving. You can uh, grab whatever you lost on SoundCloud. I believe this will be probably be the message that we post on SoundCloud. But Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image, and, image of, and in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now, God in Genesis chapter 1, there's so much debate going on about what is actually happening in Genesis chapter 1, but I truly believe and I grab hold to that God is actually creating the spirit of man in Genesis chapter 1. He is generally creating the spirit of man. The word image there is actually defined as a word phantom or reflection. We know that God is not skin and bones, muscles and organs. We do know that, right? God is spirit. And when he says that he created man in his own image, he created us as spiritual beings. We are internally, without seeing, beings that reflect God's image. Our spirits were made to rule and reign within us. 
the tear was supposed to look like this. Spirit, mind, body. That's what the tear was supposed to look like in our creation. Because in our spirit possessed all the likeness of God. All the confidence in God's ability in us. So everything about us had to line up with our spirit. Genesis chapter 1 says. But then, number 2, turn with me a couple pages over, Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. It says, and the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And I looked that up because, you know, I was taught that, you know, there's so many uh, guides and uh, references to translations that, you know, you really got to search and find. And you got to be careful not to search and find just what you're looking for. Because stuff can get lost in interpretation of just what you're looking for. But when I looked up the scope of soul, it really meant he breathed into him knowledge, wisdom, awareness, thought, and existence. He breathed into him mind, will, and emotions. It's in this seat that God breathed into man the ability to make choice. God does hold the world in his hands, but he doesn't have control unless we give it to him. Life is filled with choices all day, every day, and other people's choices impact and affect our lives directly or indirectly, whether we like it, know it, or accept it or not. They do. But it's in this passage that we see and understand that God breathed into man and and made him a living soul. So his spirit was created first. He's a spirit man. We activate his soul, and then there's this body that houses everything. Okay? Now, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, it says that they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, this word naked right here is the Hebrew word arom, A-R-O-W-M, A-R-O-W-M, naked. That word naked, when God made Adam and Eve, and mind you, when he made Eve, he said the world was very good. Just a little quip right there. We are God's gift to man. Amen. So anyway... I'm your gift, baby. Okay, so then, Aaron, naked. That word naked right there is Hebrew for pure, truth, virtue, good. Okay? That word naked right there is pure, true, honest, just, genuine, authentic. When you see furniture, you know, the Amish have great pride in selling naked wood furniture because it's the true, authentic, genuine wood. It's, it's not compromised with corkboard in the middle, okay? So when he said that man was naked and not ashamed, they were true, genuine, pure creatures of God, Okay? Now, we're going somewhere with this. Now, by that time, not even three or four paragraphs later, not even a whole chapter later, I mean just a few sentences later, the enemy got up in there, deceived her. She fell for it. Man, because she was just that fine, she lured him into disobedience, and they ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Now, mind you, I'm, I'm explaining this because I want you to understand this, okay? So by the time Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, it says, For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing both good and evil. Knowing both good and evil. Knowing both good and evil. Knowing go- both good and evil. Now, when the woman saw that the uh, tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and we know the rest. Boom. Their eyes were opened. They know they were charged with knowledge. In the previous state, ignorance truly was bliss. But now they gain knowledge that they did not really need. So what happened in that transaction, it says immediately their eyes were opened. What eyes were opened? In that transaction, the mind was elevated over the spirit. In that transaction, in that exchange right there, the mind, the knowledge of good and evil transcended and elevated itself above the spirit man. Whereby now our existence is measured by our thoughts, our mind, will, and emotions. It was never supposed to be that way, but that's where we are. Okay, you got that? So with the fall came all the stuff that came with it. And so because the fall now, there's this knowledge of good and evil, there's this knowledge of what death really looks like. So man became slaves to death because we don't know what death really entails because it's not a really a part of our programming. And since it's not a part of our programming, it must be bad. So I got to do everything I can to avoid death. So all I needed to do was threaten death and you would do what I needed you to do. You became a slave to death because, after all, there was no heaven, right? And then the law is introduced. Moses comes along and says, there's this law. And what the law was intended to do was differentiate and show us the moral, it was supposed to be a moral compass of what is good, what is bad, what does please God, and that God really is, and what does not please God, and where that leads you, okay? Because we needed understanding now. Our spirit is very much alive, and it wants to be in tow, but because we're limited to our understanding, God had to make it clear. So there's this whole list of laws now. But what the law ended up doing was it made us very aware of the wrongs as an area of temptation and sort of caused us to lose sight or caused us to miss the point of what's right. It showed us that in our thinking, we can very much be wrong all the time if we don't keep it in line with what God says. Okay? That's what the law ended up doing. So then, from Genesis to Mal- Malachi, Malachi, Jesus is coming. Paul Revere, when he was saying the British is coming, the British, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. From Genesis to M- M- Malachi, Jesus is coming. The Redeemer is coming. The King is coming. Prince of Peace is coming. Yeshua is coming. Redemption is coming. Deliverance is coming. Liberty is coming. Freedom is coming. Okay? And he comes. Now, if it was all about redemption, God could have easily took care of that because Herod was already killing all the boys. If it was just about a sacrificial lamb, how much more pure and more innocent can you have than a two-year-old boy being beaten and being scourged and being killed? If it was just about our redemption but it wasn't. 
If it was just about our redemption and us getting back with God, that could have happened two years ago when he was two, when he was 12, when he was 18. Shoot, it could have happened when he was 21 because, you know, that's a legal age these days. Could have happened when he was 25 because, you know, insurance rates go down at 25. No, but God felt it necessary to preserve Jesus on the earth for 33 and a half years so that those last three and a half years, he would be able to impart to us teachings, examples, and proof positive that everything about God was true. That it is the internal nature of God and the internal nature of man that's in sync with God that ought to lead us spiritually. He gave us word that was feed us spiritually. But it only goes into our spirits to the degree that we open up that mind gate to receive it. Again, our outward conditions are limited or aspired according to our inward thoughts. All right? So then, let me move forward. And Gen- let, me go, let me go back a little bit, though. Wait a minute. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, when we were talking about when they fell. And that, then when they fell, immediately what happened? Their eyes were open. And what did they see? That they were naked. But this naked is different. This naked is a Hebrew word, erum. Erum, spelled E-Y-R-O-M. Erum. The English word has naked, naked, naked is naked, right? No, but to the Hebrews, to the Hebrew language, very different. Because this word, Eram, actually means uncovered, exposed, unprotected, and stripped. This word, naked, means exposed, uncovered, unprote- uh, uh, unprotected, and stripped. So the minute they got knowledge that of good and evil, the minute they were able to, because they already knew all that was good, all that was introduced to them was what? That which was bad, right? So now they had to shift focus, and they immediately noticed what was wrong. Forget that Eden is right there. All the gold and onyx is right there. Flowers are right there. This bad chick that you just said, whoa, man, is right there. No, you didn't see all that no more. What you saw was that you were naked, a reason to be ashamed. So again, if you are in a relationship, men too, you are abused, you are disrespected, you are disregarded, it was inconsiderate, it was hurtful, she cheated on you or whatever. If that's what you, that's all you can take from that relationship, every other relationship you enter into, because now because you are exposed, you know the bad, and if we don't shift our focus, if we don't change our thought life, what we, what we, we tend to look for what we don't want. Don't we? Ladies, you are in a hurtful relationship. I'm using this because the relationship, the relationships is what this is all about at the end of the day. But when you are hurt, abused, and, and this happened not one time but multiple times, you become so sensitive to what was bad about the relationship that you're looking for that in other people. Whether it's really there or not, you're looking for that in other people. So we're hypersensitive to our sin nature and can't walk in the reality of God's truth. So I can't celebrate the fact that he he is handsome. But you know what? He he said something that reminded me of my ex. And that was God right there to tell me to stay away. (laughs) 
And he could have been God's Boaz for you. So instead, you find yourself inclined to the very gentlemen that know how to talk the talk, know how to walk the walk. Because you're concentrating on what's bad. Anybody that's bad, they're not going to show you their, their, their underhanded ways up front. They become masters of presentation. They become masters of facade, be it intentional or unintentional. But then after a while, you find yourself entertaining the same type of person because you fell for it again. Because you're so sensitive to what's wrong. All you guys, you know, I was hurt before. And he becomes everything you said that you didn't like in the hurt before. Do you, are you all following me? Okay. Proverbs chapter 27. Turn with me there. Proverbs chapter 27. It says in the first part of that scripture, uh, wait, I said Proverbs 27. It's Proverbs 23, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, part A. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you don't know and understand that you are the image of God in the earth, that your spirit man has to be fed and cultivated, if you don't understand that you are God's own, if you don't understand your beginning, it's very easy for you to default yourself to what everybody else tells you about you. And unless you give other people the permission, no one can define you but you unless you give them permission. So if we become defined by our hurts, by our pains, by our ignorance, by our shortcomings, by our mistakes, by our... If we become defined by that, an eternal victim, we can find ourselves repeating the same scenario over and over and over again. Because that's what we're hypersensitive to. That's what we're thinking all the time. And if what you think is what you become or what you attract, if it's really true that what you meditate on ends up manifesting in, his, in, the, in your life, then wouldn't you think that we need to sort of put that in the, put our past pains, hurts, mistakes, errors, or whatever, right where God put it, as far as the east is from the left? If he don't remember it, if he says, it's necessary for me to deal with you moving forward by forgetting your past, and all that was against me, don't you think you need to, too? Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, it says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, I know this chapter of Scripture very well because I seem to be on this here hamster wheel of losing weight. I know I talk about this a lot, but bear with me. And so, you know, it talks about how, you know, we need to uh, put a knife to our throat when we sit before a ruler and how we need to uh, not desire his dainties for they are deceitful meat and how we need to push back from the table and all this stuff. But that's not actually what he's talking about. He's talking about when you really look into it, I was like, oh, okay, I just took this for face value, but it's actually a little deeper than what I, than pastries, dainties, and steaks, and, and macaroni and cheese, and greens and yams and <laughs> apple pie and banana pudding. And <laughs> but it's actually talking about how 
you can be enticed by what's in front of you. You can be enticed by what you see. You can be enticed and you can find yourself succumbing to what's around you. But he says here, but be careful because what's around you will end up deceiving you because the heart of the matter will show up. The heart of the matter, it will show up. So in other words, he's saying here, part B of this is to be careful of, uh, 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 he'll say eat and drink, but his heart is far from you. In other words, the, 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 a ruler whose morals are wrong, the enemy, everything that you see exists, okay? It's not that it does not exist. But if you're not careful, there could be plots and plans and motivations behind what you see if you're limited by what you see to get you tripped up later on against what you're believing. Do you understand what I'm saying? So with that being said, he's saying, hey, be careful about what you see, those things that tempt you, because we know food tempts us. Am I out here by myself? <laughs> My husband says that his wife loves seafood. Any food I see, I love. <laughs> and that's true, because it's not like I got a limitation on sweets. I mean, I like sweets. They're okay, but that's not my issue. I like food. I like food. I like wing dings. I like macaroni and cheese. I like fried rice. I like food. And the more weird and exotic it is, the more I want to try it. Unless it's alive. I don't want to eat stuff that's still alive. So they use food as an example and as a pretense here because we, we, we can find ourselves engaging in something because we think it's innocent. But when we really don't pay attention, we don't engage our thoughts right there, we, and we're not careful, the reality of that thing is going to show up. So wherever you are mentally, wherever you are thought-wise, is where you're going to be. But when you add your faith to it, that's where God takes you to another level. So every, it, your current, let me say this like this, your current condition is the result of whatever you think, whatever you believe, and how you respond to it. Your total state and condition is the result of whatever you think about, whatever you believe, and how you responded to it. Y'all to write that down. Wherever you are today, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, whether it's short, lacking, or supreme and successful, is the sum total of your thoughts, your faith, and your behavior. So if you have not acquired, because now, now that this mind thing is in tow, now that, now that our mind is leading us in many ways. Romans chapter 10 talks about how can one believe unless they heard and how can one hear unless a preacher is sent. In other words, there now has to be this deposit of information within us so that we can come to a place of faith. So in other words, what you know can precede your faith. And what you don't know can diminish your faith. We sing, I love you forever. I love you forever. We can sing that, but I challenge you. Yeah, I love God, but how conscious am I about his love for me? Because when I'm so confident, do I believe he loves me? Okay, yeah, Jesus loved me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I know that, but is that a meditation of my heart? Is that my reality? We could know things and not believe it. 
check this, but we could believe things and not really know things. Tonette didn't speak to me earlier this morning. I could believe Tonette is mad at me. I don't know nothing else, but she didn't speak to me. I could really believe and exist and have an attitude that Tonette has an issue with me. I believe it because Tonette always speaks to me. She always gives me a hug, but I ain't getting no love today. Did I do something to offend you? (laughs) People do that. If my reality is so defensible and so hurtful and so sensitive, I can create a reality that's not really a reality because it's not steeped in some type of knowledge. But then I can miss out on a true reality or I can create this alternate reality that doesn't even exist because I don't have the knowledge. You all get me? So what I, want to, uh, what I want to provoke in you today is that you get a sense of changing your thought patterns, that you acquire a sense of wanting to incline your understanding to a higher level. I don't believe, you know, this is linked up church. There's some good teaching that goes on here. Y'all get good information. And, 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 and in some areas, you know, we, this church for some time now, especially in our circles, we spent a good amount of time teaching some good teaching on faith. I mean, we got this thing locked up. We know faith. We know speak those things that be not as though they are. We know confession. We know sow a seed and reap a harvest. We know these things. We know that by his stripes I am healed. We know prayer and fasting. We know first fruits. We know these things. We know that I'm more than a conqueror. We know that he's given me victory. We know there's heaven. We know these things because the preacher said it. Because we heard it on TV. So we know it because we heard it. We don't know it because we made the intentional deposit to make that a part of our thought life, therefore creating our reality. See, there's nothing you can tell me about God's ability to provide. I don't care what who says about what. I don't care about the global economy. I don't care about the condition of the markets. I don't care about the Dow Jones Industrial. I don't care about NASDAQ. I don't care about what the job is doing. You can't tell me nothing about God's ability to provide. Been there, done that. Check. I wish, I, I mean, I wish, I, 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 pray, I mean, I want to so bad take my revelation, take what God has put in me and, 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 and sort of like a, a mama bird to a baby bird, just gurgitate it right back up in your brain. But I can't, but let me tell you what God orchestrated in me to do. From Rhema on, 1996 on, I had to live by faith. And my biggest issue, because I grew up in a home that we lacked. My parents did the best thing that they could. But, you know, it was important that laundry was done three, two or three times a week, which is probably why I can't stand doing laundry. I had to do that three or two times a week because they didn't buy us a lot of clothes, but we had to keep what we had clean. I grew up and went to a high school. There were some prestigious people. Kids had money, kids, all this just stuff. I didn't have those things. So one of my main issues was provision. That was one area that I really, so that's where God dared me to tithe. 
And I was like, okay, Malachi, try me now here with, show me, I'll, I'll, I'll pour the blessing. Okay, you said that. And I'm just going to be transparent. I was like, okay, we're going to see if this works. God, I'm going to give my 10% to see if it worked. It was a test and trial, that 30-day money-back guarantee. Except with the church, it was no money-back guarantee. How many of you did that? You were in some situations, and you was like, I'm going to try this tithing thing to see if it works because it's supposed to get me out this situation. And praise God. You know, I was able to tithe, but then I got into an accident in Oklahoma. I got to pay deductible. It was my third accident. The other two weren't my fault. This one was my fault. So now my insurance don't want me to be a part of their family no more. <laughs> They're not, they not always a good neighbor. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say about that, because that's who I had at the time. They said, you got to go. We don't want you next door to us no more. <laughs> so now not only do I have to get new insurance, but I got to pay to get this car fixed because, you know, my daddy co-signed and... One thing I was not going to do in my efforts to walk by faith and not by sight was come back with a busted up car. And so that tried me on this here tithing thing. And I had a decision to make in that moment. Am I going to tithe or am I going to get my car fixed? I was living with a family. I said, Sharon, I'm going to need a ride with you until I can get enough money to get my car fixed. I tithed, and I had to get up, because this is a family. They got kids to drop off at school, and I had to get up early. And they like saying, you know, I had to ask them to take me to work, but they like staying for prayer school and all that stuff. I'm like, I got to go get me some sleep and get some homework done. So I made it work for about, and it only lasts, I thought I was going to have to do it for a whole two-week period because, you know, I had to wait for that next paycheck. But God manifested himself. And that right there became my reality. Because I could have easily erred on the side of, this don't work. See? Where you at? You said you would rebuke the devourer for my sake. This must be a sign that maybe now ain't the time. But I had to either choose to recreate my reality and take what I knew to become my thought life and my existence or say it don't work and let's just go back to life as normal. Thank God I chose the first. And from that period on, I've never suffered lack again. I never suffered lack again. Because I allow God to be the one who proves to define my reality. I refuse to create my own reality and deal with the same consequences and circumstances time and time again. I'm going to give you another story right here, and I'm going to close out. Family that I know. Their daughter, their child was born with a certain disease. It's on the healing side of defining your reality. The child was born with a certain disease some time ago. 
This family, instead of investing, investigating, researching, and trying to download everything about this disease to try and get, make sure that they got rid of it, instead of them looking for and being sensitive to all the symptoms and signals that go along with this disease, they simply, they simply decided to do one thing, because it's a serious disease. They said, you know what, we're going to concentrate on the healing power of Jesus. We're going to have communion every day. We're going to discern his body every day. We're going to receive and, and, and partake of his blood every day. And for years, they had, I mean, they would, they would be out and about on vacation. All they had was some Coca-Cola and some potato chips. And they would have communion with some Coca-Cola and some potato chips. Here it is some years later, years, a decade and a half later, and some things happened, and the enemy tried to rear his ugly head. But years, over a decade or so later, that child never had a symptom. Never had any symptoms of this disease. So much so that the delivering pediatrician and the obstetrician totally forgot that she had this disease. And so when some things happened, and the thing that happened was a doggone little gallstone. It wasn't even anything associated with that when they had to do the blood work. They found out, oh, okay. And the child never knew that they were sick. They finally had to tell the child, okay, this is what's going on. This is what happened. But guess what happened? Now, God is in science. He is. Science tried to disprove God, but all science ends up doing is proving God. But science has evolved where there is a quick fix if, if all the stars line up. And now they're in this season where there could be a quick fix. Now, sh- the child still don't, like, I don't get it. Why everybody all confused when they say this is, what's, this is what's going on in me? I don't get it. She does not understand the sickness and the disease. She only stay, understands the healing and the health. Do you get what I'm understanding? Perspective, your reality. As a man thinketh in his heart, so be him. If we're focusing in on what they did to hurt me, and all I'm looking for is signals that contributes to what they did to hurt me, guess what? I'm going to end up with the same person, with another person doing the same thing to hurt me. If I'm so focused and I, and I do what I need to do to get this here job and, and, and I go into the situation, can't stand the man, can't stand all this here stuff, but yet I'm doing this stuff externally, but my thought life ain't changed, guess what? I can get the job promotion, but I'm going to find myself in the same situation a few couple months later because what I'm thinking is going to manifest itself. As a man thinketh in his heart, so be him. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to wrap it up with he- here. There's a whole lot more I could say and go over with in this, but I, but I won't. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. It says here, though we walk, the f- word flesh right there doesn't mean just body. It doesn't mean our personal bodies, just that. It says, though we walk after, though we live in a world where we see things, that's very external. It says, though we live in this here flesh, we don't war after the flesh. I'm from Detroit. I, am, I, I was born in Korea, but I spent most of my life in Detroit, Michigan. I went to high school in the Cass Corridor. SWATs didn't have nothing on Cass Corridor. 
the bluffs didn't have nothing on Cass Corridor. I'm t- it was nothing for us to walk to the store, wasn't it? Prostitutes in the halfway house right across the street. You just knew what to do. Now, let me take me and my, I love to fight back then. I'm tough, you know. I, I had to put on this fake facade because I looked a certain way, so I just got tough, you know, and just knew how to carry this chip on my shoulder. So what? I'm from Detroit. What? What's up? Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war in the flesh. Now, put me in my isolated Detroit Boston butt in south side of Chicago. Something jumped off in Chicago. And they're like, what? You in the shower? What? What? You in the shower? What? What? And how do I look coming back? I'm, in the, I'm from the D. What? I'm from the D. <laughs> you ain't about to do nothing to me. I'm from the D. I'm crazy. I'm dead. That's what I am. <laughs> Nothing about me being from Detroit is about to help me deal with people, a whole bunch of people that's in Chicago. And I'm in Chicago. Right? Though we live in the flesh, we do not war after flesh. You cannot fight the devil on his terms. The boss did what to you? So now you feel like you froggy enough to go in there and give him a piece of your mind because, listen, that wasn't right, and I should write him up and take it to HR because, you know, this ain't right. This is against policy, and I'm building my case. I'm about to start recording everything. Oh, you want to go to war for yourself? Go to war for yourself. Create your reality. Let's see if how far it gets you. When God says, vengeance is mine. Now, if he leads you to do certain things, that's one thing. But when your response is flesh, you don't get your response. Again, you didn't incline your head to knowledge. You didn't incline your head to understanding. You didn't incline your mind to actually make the deposits of what you know. Man is a sum total of what he knows and what he believes and how he responds to it. All three of those have to be in tow. You could know and say you believe certain things, and at contrary, you're still not going to get your results. Okay? Then it goes on to say here, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not by what we see, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Where do these strongholds exist? It says here, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You cannot change your outward circumstances without changing your inward thought processes. You can't. You cannot change your spouse by acting, oh, Bible says to submit. God, I'm going to submit for six months, but if he don't change, I'm out of here. That's not how that works. My husband calls it zero-based goals. I wanted to lose 15 pounds. I lost 15 pounds. My goal was to lose 15 pounds. I lose 15 pounds. Now what? But... When you adjust your thought pattern, when you incline yourself to understanding, you now say, I want to live a healthy lifestyle. And living a healthy lifestyle and adopting healthy habits makes it a way of living and a way of being, and you create a reality, and now 15 pounds just comes off. For some longer than others, but it comes off. (laughs) Now, let me end right here. Okay, let me end right here. 
on Resurrection Sunday, my husband, he, uh, he had three services, and he attended all three, and I came to two out of three, but we had guests in town, and we, I was cooking dinner for the guests, and my husband, being the great man that he is, I said, baby, I need some flowers and a few ingredients. Could you stop at the store and pick up the flowers for a centerpiece and these ingredients? And my honey, being the man that he is, he said, okay, and he goes and he gets the stuff that I needed, and so... Now, he comes home, beautiful hydrangeas, and I put them on my table as a centerpiece. And when I put them on my dining room table as a centerpiece, they become the focal point of the room, right? Because you want to draw everybody to the table. All right. And so, with that being said, if you were to go in my, just remember I said that. So, with, you know, and, 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 and the centerpiece doesn't stay there the whole time because you end up replacing the centerpiece with your food and everything else, right? Uh, so, but it served a purpose. It was a focal point. It was the drawing space for that room. Now, if you were to go to my house right now, you would think something's wrong with me. If you were to go in my house and go to my vanity, you would think something's wrong with me because there is some baking soda, there's some preparation H, and there's some milk of magnesia. Those three items, although we commonly know them to treat other things, right? And you're like, what is Preparation H doing on her vanity? Because, you know, vanity is where you put on your makeup and stuff. But those, <laughs> leave me and my methods alone. <laughs> that baking soda is for when I brush my teeth at the end. I like to, old school, but it still works. Uh, I dip my toothbrush in there. So baking soda can be used for more than just cooking and deodorizing the refrigerator, right? It has more than one use, right? Preparation H. We know it. I mean, when I first bought it, I wasn't quite understanding what preparation. I knew what it meant, what it did, what it was for, but I didn't quite understand the process. So I heard something on this here show, and I was like, I'm going to try it. So I go to the store, and I buy some preparation H. And when I opened it, it had the tube where the actual medicine was in, but it had this other tube. And I did not understand what this other tube was for. <laughs> I bought it for one purpose, but it's intended for another purpose. Okay? I saved the tube only to find out later, oh, it's for insertion. Okay. So I ended up throwing it away, but... My preparation age, you know, if I don't sleep well and stuff like that, I got bags. You know, I'm 48 years, 40, how old am I? I'm 47. Yeah, I'm 47. Thank you. I received that. See, that's why I love that. I love this little woman here, Deanna Jo Vivian. I, I do. I rock 30 very well. But, no. But, so I got bags. And so sometimes if I don't sleep very well, like last night, I was tossing and turning in the spirit all night long. I mean, I was just, oh, what about this? What about, it was my mind and my spirit. So, but the preparation H is there because if you put it on your bags, up under your eyes, it sort of stops the swelling. Okay? So the preparation H can be used for more than one thing, right? You don't have to have hemorrhoids to have preparation H. <laughs> the last thing, milk of magnesia. I told you, I like to eat. Part of why I like to eat is because I have a stomach of steel. My husband's stomach is a little bit more sensitive, so I do more cooking catered around your sensitivities, right? But have you known me to get sick in the stomach? It's very rare, I guess. I got, I mean, these intestines can take some stuff. 
So when I went to the grocery store to buy some milk and magnesia, all they had was this big old bottle. Because you're supposed to take it by the cupful. And they said, that is the smallest bottle. So I had this huge bottle of milk and magnesia. I don't have stomach issues. But see, I, was, I, I have heavy eyelids. I'm Asian. I have heavy eyelids. And I would buy primer. I got tired of buying when I put on makeup. I know y'all don't think I wear it, but I wear it. <laughs> so when I put on my eye makeup, it'll crease. So I would, buy, I would test out all these primers. And finally, I went to the little makeup store, and the lady says, you know what, for your type of eyes, you need to use milk and magnesia. What? That's for tummy aches. She said, no, milk and magnesia, is, it'll dry it out up there, and it'll, be, it'll, it'll act as a primer. Actually, it's a better primer than this expensive primer you're about to buy. Oh, okay. I put down that little $34.99 primer and went straight on over to Publix and picked me up some $3.99 milk and magnesia. Milk and magnesia has more than one use. Though unorthodox, it has more than one use. I'm going somewhere with this. If your focal point is God, and we always want to just relegate God to church and religious business, and we want to insert God in a few scriptures when it comes down to some immediate goals, but when we accept him as a way of living, when we accept his word as law, now that's law, being law, when we, when we orchestrate our behavior to acknowledge him in all our ways, trusting that he'll direct our paths. When Pastor Gregory was ministering and being, doing the baby dedication, saying that kids are going to test and try some things, but you just got to trust God that what you put in them will draw them back. Then God, and so when you make God your center peace, P-E-A-C-E, when you make him your center peace, P-E-A-C-E, your center, your focal point, not that all the bills are paid, that brings you peace. Not that the kids get all A's and they're behaving today, that gives you peace. Not that your husband's acting right today or your wife is acting right today, she ain't said too much or nothing to you today, that's not your peace. Not that the job, the boss invited you to lunch, that's not your peace. But when you understand that thou shalt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind, whose mind, whose mind, whose thoughts, whose wills, whose decisions is stayed on him, when he is your focal point, when he is your center peace, better yet, not center peace, let's make it master peace. Thank you, Holy Spirit. When he becomes your master and Peace, P-E-A-C-E. The Louvre got some masterpieces. The High Museum got some masterpieces. Some of y'all work out so hard that you believe you're a masterpiece. <laughs> but there's a master's peace, P-E-A-C-E, to be had. And when he's your focal point, you'll see that his word can be used in so many other realms than what church says, what the pastor said. Oh, pastor said that if I confess that by his stripes he was healed. Yeah, so by his stripes he was healed. I am healed. No. Because you're just taking somebody else's revelation, hoping it's manifest something for you. But when you take it and make it your focal point, you'll see that the word of God is so applicable to so many areas of your life outside of what you thought it was originated for. Do you hear me? Do you get it? So your obedience 
It might look like you're not saying something is just for this area right here. But when you master obedience, you're just let, don't even realize it, but it's just an unction. You know, let me go, let me go to Neiman Marcus today. And you go to Neiman Marcus and somebody's waiting there and, and God told them to give you a $10,000 shopping spree. I'm speaking those things that be not as though they were. No, I'm just kidding. In other words, that small bit of obedience that you're demonstrating in this one situation, if you make it your lifestyle, it'll manifest itself. It'll bring to you what, you, what it was meant to bring to you. A lot of times people of faith have these zero-based goals that I'm believing God for. I'm believing God for. I'm believing God for. That's great. That's good. That's awesome. Put your sticky notes up with all your confessions and your scriptures that go along with it. Make your confessions every day. Spend an hour by, like about you and, and doing what you do. But if it does not change your thinking or your behavior, you'll exempt yourself to repeat the same situation over and over again. And because you are a people of victory, because you are a people, a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, a called out generation, because you, are, you serve a God that is more than enough, because you serve a God who has graced you, because you serve a God that says, I want to, I desire to, I'm here to do above and beyond all that you can ask or think, you can't help but to be the crowning glory and example of God's goodness and grace amongst other people. So you just got to go into the situation, know they're going to look at you funny. No, they're going to talk about you. They might not like you. But when your lifestyle and your thinking is entrenched in pleasing him, like Jesse the Planet says, you just wake up in the morning and say, okay, God, what is it today? What is it today? If it's pleasing him, and then today, what can I do to move me closer to my goal? Today, what can I do? What can I adopt to move me closer to, to my prayer? Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 says, that thou shalt, uh, thou shalt, the book of the law shall not depart out of thy mind, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, so that thou mightest observe to do all that is written in it. Who's supposed to observe to do all that's written in it? Thou. You. So that thou can make thy way prosperous, and thou can have good success. Who's supposed to make their way prosperous? And who's in charge of their success? God just adds his super on what you can do. I heard a person say a long time ago, God will not do for you what you can do for yourself. How do we change our thoughts? Number one, Scripture tells us to people perish for a lack of knowledge, revelation, understanding, insight. What are you exposing yourself to? How do we change our thoughts? Number two, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Get knowledge. If you're believing God to be debt-free, you're supposed to be in classes about debt control. You're supposed to be understanding what your credit card statement says. You're supposed to understand what your credit statement says, but you just want to be debt-free. So you're just going to give $50 and, okay, God, I'm debt-free. No. No. You want a job? You believe in God for higher employment? Okay, people, 70 people enlisted and, and attended job link. Incline yourself to knowledge. And all that getting, get an understanding. What can you do in the process of your faith? Because that is faith. James says, show me your works without your faith. I'll show you my, works, my faith by my, with my works. Amen? And then with that, add your faith to it. Every day, get up. Say to this mountain, be thou destroyed, be thou cast into the sea. At some time, that, that mountain will either disappear 
or you'll figure out a way to go over it, through it, or around it. Amen? You all get something out of all this? Praise God. Now, Jesus, I said earlier, came in the earth to give us understanding. He came to the earth to give us insight, to give us knowledge. He left and made sure. See, how many of you believe the, uh, Luke was an apostle? Matthew, Mark, Luke, Jan, who, how many of you? That's okay. I was at a church and the pastor got upstairs and said, the apostle Luke. Disciple Luke. Luke was not a disciple. It says at the very beginning that Luke went around interviewing many people to prove that the testaments, the testimonies of Matthew, Mark, and John were true. That's why Luke is so detailed in his book about the occurrences of Jesus Christ. So even though it's one book, he came on later in the scene. And then in Acts, now he's accounting what he actually witnessed. Okay? But just the book of Luke is not only Luke's testimony, but it's his repetition of all that Jesus did. And the witnesses that saw what he did. The miracles, the signs, the wonders, the teachings, the words, the understanding that he conveyed to the people that were around him. Okay? Jesus came to give you an understanding so that with that understanding, you could attribute it to some faith. And with your faith, you can walk and have life more abundantly. He didn't leave your mind out, folks. In fact, he came and stayed an extra three and a half years to engage it. So if you don't know that you're saved, you need to know. But if you know right now that you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, let's get that corrected right now. Let's check that off the list of life eternal. It's not about coming to church. It's not about being a good person. It's not about being nice. I know people in prison who are going to heaven without a shadow of a doubt. And I know people in church who are busting hell wide open. So while everyone is in the attitude of prayer, if you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to pray for you, pray with you, but I also want to give you information and make sure you know and understand why and how you're saved. Or perhaps you are saved. You are born again.